Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This issue that is really so prevalent, so important, so critically important to all of us, and that's energy supply. And we know the stress it's under in Europe. We've heard from our guests. We're about to hear from another very well-informed guest in Europe, uh, Dr. Bjorn Lomborg, whose Wall Street Journal op-ed, uh, Be Afraid of Nuclear War, Not Climate Change, has generated a tremendous amount of interest and uh, opposition. Dr. Lomborg writes, net zero will make energy prices explode even more. We just talked about that a bit. And uh, he adds in his newsletter, which is read around the world, solar and wind need backup provided by gas. Also, cold is nine times deadlier than heat, killing 4.5 million people each year. Dr. Bjorn Lomborg is the president of the Copenhagen Consensus Center and visiting fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institution, was named by Time magazine as one of the world's 100 most influential people. His most recent book is False Alarm, How Climate Change Panic Costs Us Trillions, Hurts the Poor, and fails to fix the planet. Dr. Lomborg, good to have you back on the program. What's the reality in Europe today as far as energy availability is concerned, or lack of energy availability? Well, Roy, it's great to be back on the show. And I think everyone in Europe is realizing that we're really dependent on energy. It's what actually keeps us warm in winter. It's not like it's a secret, but I think to many people, they haven't been thinking about this before, but suddenly they realize. I actually need affordable energy that keeps me warm all the time. I need energy 24-7. And, of course, what we've been promised is, oh, we'll go renewable. Uh, but what are you going to do when the sun is not shining and the wind is not blowing? And what are you going to do to heat your home, which is mostly not done with electricity? You need Russian gas. And that is right now a really bad choice. You know that our prime minister has said, and we've talked about this yesterday, we've talked about it earlier today in the program, he wants to see a 42% cut of emissions in gas and oil over the next eight years. That's from 2019 levels. What's your assessment of that? And I'm, I'm just going to add to this that you did write that in your view, in your uh, calculations, net zero will make prices explode. What do you think of Mr. Trudeau's decision? Well, again, I don't know the specifics of the Canadian proposal, but we do know that this attempt, and that's what uh, uh, Trudeau is trying to do, this attempt to reach net zero uh, by mid-century is not only almost a fantasy, but it's incredibly expensive. So both McKinsey and Bank of America estimate this will cost at least $5 trillion every year for the next 30 years. And there's nobody who's willing to pay that, not well-meaning rich Canadians and rich Americans and rich Europeans. But of course, remember, we matter almost nothing in this. There is absolutely no one who's willing to pay this in China, in India, in the rest of Southeast Asia, in Africa. And, and so this is really just a, a, a masquerade. It's something that you say, but you're not actually going to do it because what happens when Prices will skyrocket, as Obama famously said. Well, people vote those kinds of politicians out of office. Mm -hmm. And it's unlikely that developing economies with large populations will decide to go for net zero in 2050. Oh, absolutely. Remember, uh, according to the uh, McKinsey studies, uh, this would cost about half of the global tax intake in the world. 
Imagine India, imagine Africa paying more than 10% of their GDP every year to achieve net zero. What they want is to get their populations out of poverty, which means much more energy, much more available energy, not just so that they can have a solar lamp so their kids can study at night, which is nice, but also that they can have pumps in their agriculture, that they can run uh, machinery that can actually pull them out of poverty. And that requires, to a very large extent, fossil fuels right now. What we have to realize is this is not about feeling good in Canada or elsewhere. This is about making sure that the entire world can fix a large number of problems, not just climate, but also the many other challenges that faces the world. And I think in, in that sense, what Ukraine and the invasion, the terrible invasion in Ukraine is really showing us is, wait, there are other and more important things than just climate change. We need to make sure we deal with all of these problems and don't yeah. just obsess about climate and forget everything else. Yeah, we have no idea what's coming our way by 2030, even less by, by 2050. If Europe is the proverbial canary in the coal mine, as far as energy supply is concerned, and energy construction is concerned, what's the sensible plan to respond to climate change in an effective manner? Well, right now we need to address our energy needs, and that's about getting uh, more LNG harbors. It's about making sure we start uh, using shale gas. This is basically what the U.S. did they opened up the shale revolution and basically managed to reduce their carbon emissions more than any other nation on the planet over the last 10 years because they switched from coal to gas. That's what Europe needs to do as well. We need, of course, to get everybody else to do that as well. And then in the long run, we need to have cheaper fourth generation nuclear and many other technologies. And that will happen through innovation. We need to focus on innovation because, quite frankly, if we think that making energy incredibly expensive in the rich world is going to inspire the poor world to do the same, we're just deluded. Of course, they're not going to do that. They want cheap and reliable energy. What we have to deliver is the innovations that will make it possible. Imagine if fourth generation nuclear is as cheap and as safe and as incredible as we're being told it might be. Then, of course, everyone will switch, not because their climate work, but simply because it'll be cheaper and better. But that's the innovations that we need to get, not just these feel-good policies that we're getting right now. So what are the chances that um, a country like Germany would go back to more nuclear power? They've cut back to one plant. That's supposed to be closing down. We have the German energy minister telling the people of Gen Germany to cut back on their use of electricity. Similar message going to the people of France, or again, the canary in the coal mine. Is nuclear in the future in Europe? And it's interesting that Elon Musk is telling the world to go nuclear. Yeah. Well, I think it's one of the possible solutions. So remember, there's a very big difference between what Germany and many other countries have done, namely shutting down existing nuclear power plants. That's just there, there's no other word for it. That's just stupid. If you have a nuclear power plant, you've already paid for it, which is the biggest cost. You've already committed to the decommissioning, which is the second largest cost. Actually running the power plant when it's there costs almost nothing, and it generates an enormous amount of CO2-free energy. That's just stupid to shut it down. So nobody should shut down existing nuclear power plants. Building new ones, on the other hand, turn out to be fairly expensive, and that's why a lot of countries are somewhat re reluctant to do that. And that's where we need the innovation. I think there's a good chance 
we're going to get a lot more nuclear because when you start asking people to you know lower their temperatures to 19 degrees and freeze a little and no you can't run your car on Sundays and all that kind of stuff that yeah. feels very much like the 70s and people are not going to vote for it yeah the international energy agency is saying we shouldn't be allowed to drive our cars on Sundays or even days or odd days or whatever plan they they have in mind. Why are you such a lightning rod? Why, are, why do you c- cause such polarized opinion? <laughs> I don't well, understand. Actually, that. I don't, and I'm not, I know that's going to earn I, me emails, but why? I, I don't actually think I'm all that controversial. There's a lot of people who don't want to hear this, because if you've wedded your life to saying climate change is the only challenge that matters, obviously you're annoyed when somebody comes and points out, well, that's actually not true. Lots and lots of other challenges. But I think in some ways, the Ukraine crisis has made us all realize that there are many other challenges. Remember, just before the bombs started falling in, uh, in Kiev and elsewhere, you actually had the World Economic Forum, you know, the richest guys in the world that get together in Davos and Switzerland in January. They voted on what is the most, what is the biggest risk for the world for the next 10 years? And they said, that's failure to act on climate. No, it's not, guys. It's actually Ukraine. And, of course, a lot of other things like failing to get people out of poverty, failing to fix tuberculosis and all these other challenges. We've just come out of, a, of, of the deadliest pandemic in a century. Uh, we have inflation and possible recession in front of us. There are many other challenges. Now, climate is also a challenge. We should also fix it, but we should fix it smartly and we should fix it cheaply. People hate me saying that because it, it disturbs you know, they're, they're, they're feeling good about themselves. And of course, they're, uh, uh, they're fundraising for scary things like climate. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.